Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Church Planner, it's Peyton Jones and not Pete Mitchell. Not because Pete's dropped out or gone off Peyton Jones in any kind of way or off the Church Planner. Pete is actually flying to Tampa. I don't know what he's doing. I think he's wearing Star Wars Speedos and laying on the beach all day, but I am not one to judge and nor should you. But uh, anyways, I am flying solo today. If you haven't noticed on our other podcast, which is Hardcore Church Planning, um, I have been flying solo because in the new year, as Pete is taking more and more church planners through bivocational training, that is not leaving him a lot of time for many other things that he does. So he had to cut back on something. And uh, since he pretty much only asked the first two questions on our other podcast and the last one, which is the fight question, he said, hey, why don't I drop out? But anyways, today I'm going to be flying solo. So what that means is there's no smack talk. And if I had a soundboard, which we haven't had that in a long time, that would be the time to push a button that says, ah. So I really don't have any smack talk. I will give an update on a couple things that uh, were good. Number one, I went to the SEND conference and was blessed, particularly by the guys that were there. Obviously, we had Kevin Azell, CEO of NAM. Guy's got a great heart and a passion for planting, and uh, particularly church planners. He himself is not a church planner, but he loves church planners, and he goes to the mat for them and has been a, an exceptional leader. Got to spend some time with one of my best friends, Mac Lake, and a mentor to me uh, in many things, um, leadership-oriented. Guy's amazing, incredible Christ-like man. But the cool thing was seeing guys take the stage, young guys 
that I, a lot of them I hadn't heard about before. And, you know, hey, what do I know? Right. I'm not always the, the most in the loop on who's out there. Um, not really a fanboy of anyone living. I'd say I'm more of a fanboy of dead people, but, uh, Lloyd Jones, Spurgeon, those guys now, they, they're, I'd be waving a flag. I'd have the Charles Spurgeon flag or the Lloyd Jones, uh, you know, hat with the hands on it, pull the string and they clap. I'd have that. But, uh, in fact, they don't make those. You're probably surprised to hear that. But if you, uh, want to go into business and make something that will make you absolutely no money, there's a fantastic idea for that. Um, anyway, so, uh, went there and was just blessed by the team. You know, a lot of organizations I've been in or, or at least been around over the years. The founders, the, the movers and shakers in it, they always want to take the microphone and speak. And I was just really blessed by the fact that these guys that, that really run North American Mission Board, um, they're just humble, man. They, they don't got to take the mic. They don't, they let the young guys get up there, guys that, that others hadn't heard of and, and had good things to say. And I've not been used to that. I'm usually, Used to guys in organizations when they're the big wigs, they get all the mic time and hog all the, all the stage and all the platform. So that was kind of cool. Not only that, it was an incredible week where guys really rallied around mission and the send conferences are always worth going to. The one in Nashville was special. We had guys like JD Greer, David Platt, Francis Chan. A lot of those guys are going to be. Um, going around. And the reason for these is to activate you towards mission. All the Refuge Long Beach crowd, the leadership team was there and, uh, they, they were encouraged. They were like, man, Peyton, these guys sound like you. You know, they, they're just mobilizing people, uh, for mission. And that's because it's really an organization of, of guys that think apostolically. You know, they're, they're catalysts for mobilizing people on mission. So. That was kind of cool. Want to give a shout out to that. Um, also wanted to give a shout out to a new podcast that's on the air from good friend of mine, Matt Fretwell and Jonathan Collier. Um, it is called The Wretched and the Wrecked. So WNW. And that podcast is actually, uh, really cool. It's, uh, it's got a fantastic, uh, premise to it that we are all wretched in needs of God's grace and how's the Holy Spirit wrecked you. And, uh, they did do an interview about my next book coming out. It's a little bit preemptive, a little bit early to interview about my next book, but maybe, maybe they'll have me on. And my next book, by the way, is Reaching Unreach. Cha-ching! Available now for pre-order on Amazon and you can get that. But before I shamelessly plug my own book, let me go into a, this is so weird doing this without Pete. The whole podcast is going to be weird, but don't want to leave you guys hanging because Pete's traveling this week and I'm traveling next week. So, uh, we're like two ships passing in the night. Uh, our unrequited romance never meant to happen, at least for a few weeks. So he's actually texting me right now about a plane cast, but I don't think that such a thing is even possible. So let me see if I can make that happen. Hold on. Okay, so Pete Mitchell is sitting on an airplane in first class, and uh, unfortunately, I could not get him. So he was texting me while I was recording going, hey, want to do a plane cast? And uh, that would be pretty cool. But the real reason is Pete can't find his Skype password. 
on the airplane. So um, he's going to sit there doing whatever Pete Mitchell does, flying around, you know, like a like a like a baller, like a big wig doing his thing. And uh, I, as the lowly church planning trainer, am going to just roll on with business. So because that's how I roll. That's how Pete rolls. And that's how I roll. But that would have been cool first time. But uh, I'll keep <laughs> I'll keep uh, an eye out because he's still texting me to see if he can actually get on here and do his plane cast. As you know, we're no stranger to the car cast, right? One of us is traveling, and man, this year I have traveled like a bad boy. I have been traveling almost for two weeks straight, and uh, I flew into San Diego. I do a couple days of just normal work. Then I do a train the trainer with guys from all over the USA. And uh, we do that locally. And then I hop on a, well, actually I hop in the, in, in the car and I drive up north and I'll be there for two weeks. And so it has been busy. So it's weird to tell people, hey, man, I'll be available in March. But you used to always think that was lame when people said stuff like that. Like, how dysfunctional are you? That you can't meet with me till a month, but now I kind of get it. So, you know, I would imagine Paul was the same. He'd be like, hey, you know, um, try to come to me before winter. So if I can't meet with people till March, you know, Paul was like, he was rolling with seasons. So, you know, that, that that's how Paul rolled. But anyways, let's get to the actual topic. And I was going to say, if you want to set up online giving church planner, you need to use a little thing we like to call MoGive. And that is MoGive.com forward slash church. And let me tell you how to spell that. That's M-O-G-I-V, no E, M-O-G-I-V.com forward slash church. And that is a cheap and easy online giving platform. And when we use that at Refuge Long Beach, we watch our giving double, like literally double overnight. Um, it was just so easy for people to give. People don't travel around with checkbooks. People don't remember to write a check before they leave for church. And it is just a great way they can literally set up recurring giving, comes out of their bank account every month, and they're just giving. They don't, they don't have to write that check. They don't have to mail it. They don't have to bring it. They don't have to drop it in the offering. And uh, it's a game changer. And many people are like, man, thank you. That has helped me to give more regularly. And, you know, if you're leading a church and uh, people are, are walking in discipleship, they should want to give, you know. And, and maybe not just to your church. But uh, anything that makes that easier for people is a bonus. MoGive.com forward slash church. So let's get into our topic today. Our, we have been in a series so far. Series has been on the gifts. Of course, we know that I have a book coming out called Reaching the Unreached and Becoming Raiders of a Lost Art. That is on Amazon. You can pre-order that now. And uh, it comes out May 16th. And I'm going to keep plugging that. But this series that we do, every once when we do a series, I think we did like a 12-part series on preaching. We've done, uh, I think it was a 16-part series on how to plant your church step. You know, if you go back, we, we've been doing this a few years. We started in 2013 doing this podcast. Pretty, pretty, uh, pretty substantial amount of, of hours clocked in on this thing. But we're doing this as kind of a, I, I think I've described that the reason that I did my book, my first one, Church Zero, 
was to talk about the five roles and how team planting helped the first century multiply faster. And we have seen this in Refuge Long Beach. Uh, we've seen it all over, uh, really, you know, in, in the UK. We saw it um, here. And the reality is that as you plant in a team, it just helps you get your life back, helps your church multiply, helps your church uh, get better established. And of course, Paul did this, but he also instructed Timothy how to do it. And we ignore those things. And we're going slow and we're wondering why. Well, fast forward to this new book and the whole point of Ephesians 4, where he talks about those five roles, is to get to the next part, which is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And this next book is actually about equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. See, those five roles aren't really about those five roles. The five roles are catalysts and mobilizers, like what we were talking about earlier, to equip everyday average believers to be missionaries. So talking about that today, I want to talk about, we've talked about the apostle, we've talked about the prophetic leader, and I believe that these are all parts of your elders. You have a multiplicity of elders in the New Testament. So when Paul left, he set up elders and he even gave some field observation guides to Timothy and Titus, what they should be looking for in guys as far as character and gifting, but the roles he lays out in Ephesians chapter four. And so as we look at the different types of elders today, we come to our topic of the evangelist. Now, (laughs) The evangelist is very interesting. He's kind of the radical. He's the rebel in the mix. Um, evangelists, by the way, are not PC. They're not crowd pleasers. They're not popular. In fact, they're kind of like the drunk uncle at the party sometimes, where they can be a little bit embarrassing. You'd think that an evangelist is maybe the winsome one. You know, he's the one that makes everything look good. He goes and he woos the unbeliever. But no, the evangelist is often the one who brings the offense of the gospel. You know, he's totally oblivious to it. He doesn't care. He doesn't care that he's offensive. He doesn't care that his message is offensive. He preaches the cross and the offense of the cross is, as Paul says, it's death unto the dying and life unto the living. Death unto death and life unto life. He diffuses the fragrance of Christ. He's willing to be rejected himself like his master, that he might save others. And unfortunately today, in our uh, platform-driven society, and people competing to get on stage and to be popular and to get a big Twitter following, Um, This goes counterintuitive to the role of the evangelist. And because the evangelist is a roughneck um, range rider, you know, I always say that he's like the guy that, you know, he's riding the stagecoach. He's got that wild job of being out on the frontier. You know, um, he always wants someone to ride shotgun. So the evangelist will never just be like, hey, I'm a lone ranger. The evangelist will recruit you. And he will bring you out with him. And you won't like this. So when you see the evangelist come here, like, oh, crap, you know, here comes the evangelist. And you duck around the corner. And he's like, hey, come with me. I'm going to go share the gospel. So just to give you a little bit of some background, um, often evangelists have had very rough lives. Um, they can can have been addicts or ex-cons. I'm not saying they all have to be. I mean, 
But, you know, you look at some of the, the, the greats, um, you look at Greg Laurie today, you know, his, his parents were divorced seven times or his mom was divorced seven times. He bounced all around. He had a rough life. He was dropping acid as a hippie in Southern California, got saved in the Jesus movement. But, uh, but, you know, he was getting suspended from school and rough, rough character. Not tough. I mean, but just, you know, they, they can relate to people in, you know, desperate situations. Um, Whitfield was raised in a pub. You know, he saw all manner of life there. That's a, that's a rough upbringing to be raised in a pub. Um, and, and that was his, we don't know a lot about his upbringing, but, uh, you know, he was very much an evangelist. Less, I would say, of an apostle. When you look at Wesley, Wesley was very much an apostolic leader. Even though he preached the gospel, he was very apostolic. He taught, he organized, you know, he mobilized, he uh, he was kind of like a spiritual entrepreneur. He started things up like the foundry, which was like a little uh, uh, sermon, you know, or not sermon, a uh, preacher factory. Um Apostle Church Planner Factory, Circuit Riders, he, he put all these systems in place apostolically. Whereas Whitfield, it was really just as simple as that. Other than caring for his orphanages, Whitfield really just went around preaching the gospel. He was an evangelist. And so, you know, we, we get these guys in, um, in, in the difference between the evangelist and the apostle is the apostle is about mobilizing the church to get out there. The evangelist is about getting going out to the lost and bringing them in. So the apostle, yes, he goes out and he does the work of an evangelist, but he really takes the church out. He mobilizes the church for mission. Um, that's why he's starting church plants. He's the pioneer guy. But if you look at a guy like Apollos, and I believe that um, that's who Paul's referring to at the very end of Second Corinthians. He mentions our brother who is famed for his preaching of the gospel. Uh, when he mentions that, I believe he's talking about Apollos because in his letter to the Corinthians, he says, you know, you're carnal. Some say, I follow Paul. I follow Peter. I follow Apollos. And um, I believe that Apollos was was very famous, and some had been saved under Paul's ministry, some had been saved under uh, Apollos's ministry, and some had been saved under Peter's. And Paul brings up, hey, you know, we all three were there, but some of us sowed, some of us watered, and some of us reaped the harvest. We just were in different places in your journey, but Christ alone died for you. But anyways, getting back to that whole idea, Apollos comes along after Paul plants the church in Corinth. He then has um, Priscilla and Aquila come, come, you know, they're, they're there and he meets them and um, they minister and they also minister together in, in Ephesus. Um, but Paul leaves them behind as the teacher. Um, they're, they're a dynamic duo, husband and wife team. And they're really the ones that are just kind of there teaching and, and, and strengthening the, the church that Paul's left behind, working with the eldership team there. And then all of a sudden, Apollos comes through. And as Apollos comes through, um, it says that he preached the gospel and many more believed and were baptized. And so the evangelist, when we see them 
in this order. You see the apostles, the frontline guy, then the prophetic leader comes through and encourages the new work, which is what you see in the New Testament. And then you see the evangelist comes through. And as things are kind of dying down evangelistically, you then have the, um, the evangelist comes and there's like a second wave of conversions. And so for church planners, sometimes you see church planners where they don't really understand what's happening because maybe in the very beginning, there's a bunch of conversions, <coughs> excuse me, and then it stops and they go, hey, what's going on? And I call it the waves because once you have a bunch of babies born, well, then, you know, you got to feed them and, and change them and, and, and you know, get them to walk. And so it seems to me like there's waves. There's a, there's a lull in between a set of breakers. And then all of a sudden you, once you get those guys up and going, then you get another one. So anyways, just to let you guys know, the evangelist is, he's going to come through and he's going to, he's going to do the work of an evangelist like Paul exhorted Timothy. Now, Timothy was apostolic. And as I've said before, the apostolic guys, have in, in church, Sarah mentioned they're like a Swiss army knife. They've got a little bit of every tool. Cha-ching. I didn't say that, but, uh, they have a Swiss army knife. And so they, their big blade, which is the really good tool on the Swiss army knife might be teaching. It might be evangelism. It's different with every apostle. Uh, mine happens to be teaching and, you know, it's probably evidenced by the fact that I'm always conveying information. Um, I would say my books are more prophetic. That's where my prophetic gift comes out. Um, I would say my shepherding comes through the coaching I do with church planners. I would say that, you know, I could break it all down, but the reality is that um, evangelism is probably my second strongest gift. I love, love, love to preach the gospel, and I love preaching the gospel. When I say preaching the gospel, I don't mean in a room uh, full of Christians. I mean... I love going into public spaces and proclaiming the gospel, whether like, you know, you've heard my story in Starbucks or gay coffee house or wherever. That's where I love to go. And it's scary and it's freaky, but that's why you have the evangelist. You see, when Paul says to, to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist, it's because as an apostle, um, you have these other ones in you. And we don't know, but we kind of guess that maybe... Um, Maybe Timothy, because there wasn't an evangelist there, um, or it could even be that, that Timothy wasn't using that gift. He wasn't stirring up that gift, um, that, that it had grown a little bit stale, that Paul was saying, hey, you know, stir that up and do that work, right? The gift's in you, but do that work of an evangelist. We don't know. He might have just been telling him to, to strengthen the part that wasn't as developed. For me, uh, the last thing for me was the prophetic. And so from time to time, I've been able to, to pray for people that, that they get healed or some supernatural things, but that's been a newer, uh, development in my life. And I, I can't say a lot because it's, it's my weakest gift, but it's there. And at times I'll meet with Jeff, who is in church zero, cha-ching, 
And Jeff will say, hey, stir that up, Peyton. Stir that up. You know, don't forget to lay hands on people. Don't, don't forget to invoke the power of Jesus' name in, in someone's life. And I need those exhortations. So anyways, all that to say, going back to the evangelist himself, he's different than the apostle, but he comes and he takes. So in the case of Timothy, let's say an, an, an evangelist comes to Ephesus. Well, you got John, right? Um, we, we call him John the evangelist. I mean, John writes his epistle and it's super evangelistic. And, uh, and, and, and tradition tells us that John was very, very evangelistic. So we're guessing that John, um, comes through and he's still an apostle, but his big blade is evangelism. And so when an evangelist particularly comes through, what happens is it takes the weight off of the apostle so he can focus on other things. And a lot of times, um, these other roles raise up so that the apostolic guy can leave. But um, the evangelist, as in the case of Apollos, as I said, he comes through. There's a new wave of converts. They get saved. They get baptized. And, you know, the, uh, all the that work, you know, the teaching, the shepherding, all that, you know, the, those guys got their hands full for a while. And so as you flesh out that team, the teamwork becomes really cool. And uh, and if you're like, hey, I, I that sounds great, man. I want one of those. Then pray for him. But but guys, here's the thing: you find evangelists in places where you need to do evangelism. Let me say that again: you find evangelists in places where you need to do evangelism. So, um, AA, uh, Narcotics Anonymous, um, prisons. The reason I say that is those are the people that know the gospel. I mean, those are the people that, um, you know, they, they've come out of the gutter and they often end up being evangelists. So uh, if you're in a white middle-class church in the suburbs, um, chances are you just are around people that are very conservative and tame. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that people in those neighborhoods don't have horrendous sins and things like that, but um, it's a different world. And um, particularly a lot of the charismatic um, Pentecostal circles, um, they go to places that other people don't go. And they tend to find these kinds of people. And um, so I would say, you know, one, one of the, the key examples of this would be Brian Head Welch from Corn. Um, he, he wrote an endorsement of Church Zero. Cha-ching! And, uh, that was kind of cool. There's a long story behind how that happened. But, uh, but anyways, that guy's an evangelist. That's exactly when he's on stage, he's just preaching the gospel. Same with Sonny Sandoval from POD. Um, you know, some of the guys who travel around with them. Um, uh, Ryan Reese, who they formed the Whosoevers, which is kind of like a little, touring um, band. They're, they're evangelists. And all they want to do is go to the unreached, go to places where people don't know Jesus. They'll throw concerts, head will play. And those kids coming out of there, man, they are broken. And when they come out of that brokenness, like the woman at the well, it's just a natural thing for her to go and to say, hey, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Um, when people come out of the gutter, they just become natural 
evangelist. Their life is so radically changed. And so, like I said, if you want an evangelist, go to places that need evangelism and farm them, um, if that makes sense. So uh, the other thing that you kind of got to know about an evangelist is that an evangelist, I, I said earlier that they're going to be um, not a not a crowd pleaser, not a people pleaser. Um, they're going to be uh, a little bit difficult. So, for example, their people skills aren't always the best. I was talking with a, a seasoned veteran of ministry, someone I, I deeply respect, one of my team members, um, and he was just mentioning about a guy who went and started up a, a another work and, and people were getting saved like crazy, but he couldn't retain the, the volunteers who'd come. He'd burn them out and he'd hurt their feelings and they would, um, they would end up coming back to the mothership saying, Hey, you know, this guy, there's problems with him. And I'm listening. And, and as he's describing, I'm going, this is typical evangelist. The evangelist is not a shepherd. He's never going to pastor a church. He's never going to be the touchy feely guy who makes you feel good. He's going to be diehard focused on reaching lost people and he's going to wear other people out. Right. Um, he's, he's, he's not thinking how to build a church. And so he's not very good at building a church. He's really good at getting people saved. But you see, this is where our model in the West, if we have the pastor only mentality and everything is based on one dude, you know, this guy at the top of the pyramid who does everything, a guy like this can't run a church and evangelists can't run a church. And in fact, um, when he tries to, it often fails. Now he's awesome at reaching lost people. He'll reach youth. He'll reach people in the gutter, but he was never meant to run a church. He never was meant to. Jesus never intended guys like that to work outside of a team. So when you have an evangelist, you need a shepherd to balance uh, him out and you need a prophet to balance him out. It's funny because if you look at those five roles, look at the way that they're listed. You got the apostle and you got the prophet on the front end. Those are your two radicals. On the tail end, you got your teacher and shepherd or shepherd and teacher in that order who are conservatives. And in the middle, you got this guy called the evangelist. Now he's still radical. He's not a conservative, and nor am I going to say that he's halfway in between. But here's here's where I'm getting at. The apostle balances the shepherd, and the shepherd balances the apostle because the apostle is completely outward focused. The shepherd is not completely inward focused. I mean, you could say that both of them, like the the apostles, focused on mobilizing the church, getting them out. But primarily, I mean, if we're talking extremes, the apostles outward focused and radical. The shepherd is inward focused and conservative. But not, you know, shepherds still go out. We'll talk about this next week. Shepherds still go out and shepherd non-believers. It's it's really cool. But they balance each other. You know, I've told my story a million times about how when I want to start a church in a radical location. The shepherds always balance me out and say, hey, what about the families? What about the kids? And I'm, I got these crazy harebrained schemes. Well, the prophet similarly uh, balances the teacher. The teacher's all dry and head knowledge and it's a bunch of theology and he can't wait to read Grudem's latest volume of systematic theology. 
and the and the prophet's sitting there going, dude, you don't do anything with this, you know, like like you know, you you have a form of godliness, but you deny the power. Like, get out there, you know, like you know, they, they do something with all that theology. And so they balance each other out. It's pretty cool. Um, so, in other words, the the um, the example I always use is like a John Piper. He's got all this passion, and uh, you know picture like a prophetic leader and I'm going to go out on a limb here and mention a guy like Bill Johnson who uh, is very controversial specifically because of his theology. But the reason I'm mentioning him is because maybe theology in, in certain areas, theological accuracy is his weakness. Why? Because he was meant to serve alongside of a teacher, a John Piper, who comes to him and says, Bill, I love what you're, how you're seeing the power of God, but let me lead you in the way of God more accurately. What we do is we go, oh, that guy's a total heretic, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's not, you know, he's not cool, blah, blah, blah. From the reform camp or the evangelical camp, that's what they do. Um, meanwhile, on the other side, on the Pentecostal charismatic side, those guys are like, oh, you know, you theologic, you know, you theology people, there's no power. You don't see addicts saved. You don't, you don't see people delivered from addiction or you don't see people, you know, get free of porn because you're just talking all this theology all the time. And it's both. And there's meant to be a balance. And Satan has totally separated us so that both movements, I mean, I, I get people that get mad at me and go, Peyton, you're mean to the charismatics by what you said. And at the same time, people from the reform camp are like, dude, you're really disrespectful of us. Well, here's here's the little secret. I think that all movements and 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 cross sections of denominations have been divided and conquered. I think Satan has made us, um, you know, uh, not a force to be reckoned with. But if you put all of us together, holy cow, you want to see something really special? You go do that. So okay, so so you get a John, Bill Johnson and a and a and a John Piper together, and look out. Get an R.C. Sproul and a Keith Green on the same page and look out, right? That That's what I'm getting at. And it's hard for people with their prejudices to see around that and to think for a second, hold on, if Jesus really did mean these five roles to work together, why aren't we seeing it together? Well, you know, it's the enemy. I, I just got to, I'm, I'm just putting all my cards on the table. I think it's the enemy. But anyways, going back to that, and I'm talking about all these balances, getting to my, my point about the evangelist, the evangelist is in the middle because he needs, he's a difficult character. He needs the two on either side of that to pull on him and balance him. He is such a sticky wicket. Um, I had an evangelist in Wales, a guy named Alex, love him to death. That guy's on the streets multiple times a week preaching his guts out, seeing people saved. And I always tell people that evangelists are very powerful because, you know, how I said, if you want to find evangelists, go the places evangelism is needed. Well, you know, you you got guys like the evangelist, um, 10% of the population that is so hard for the rest of people, dumb train, rest of people to, to reach, like, you know, Muslims and um, cultists and, uh, you know, the addicts and the, the, the lower economic social strata. Evangelists are really good at reaching these guys. And, you know, middle class people just aren't. I'm just going to be honest with you. They're, they're just not. 
And so I would, I would tell people, man, evangelism is an evangelist is really powerful. And, um, you know, so, so all this to say, they're going to be a rough character and be rough around the edges because of the people they're meeting with. And, and so in, in the background they've come from. So the, the apostle and prophet pull on him. And the shepherd and teacher pull on him or her. And, and here's, here's the idea. Um, the reason why is that, um, like I said, they're, they're, they're not going to be your people people. They're not going to be your people persons. They're going to be really hard to deal with when they get, um, they, they struggle with, I would say at times, um, feeling like I'm the only one who really goes out there and does stuff. And you got to, you got to, in a sense, you got to kind of hand it to them, right? Like there is a persecution complex when you talk to them about their behavior. they will be like, oh, you know, why are you getting down on me? I remember my evangelist in Wales, um, I, I remember him screaming at me in the parking lot one day and I'm just sitting there just smiling, you know, because people would see him in the street and and he would send everybody to their churches. People get saved. He'd be like, where do you live? He'd be like, you need to go to this church, right? He wasn't there to make our church big. And I'd have pastors call up and complain, you know, I got into it with your evangelist. And, um, you know, he he was way out of line. I said, well, what happened? You know, and they would tell the story. And and, and I'd be like, well, did you thank him for sending the, the, the lost people to you? Well, no, he, he shouldn't. Have. Well, you know, look. You've got new, you should be calling up and thanking me, not complaining. Like I had one guy, he called up, he, he was like, Hey man, get your evangelism off my, my, uh, out of my neighborhood. And, uh, and I was like, well, why man? Like he's going to go all over the city. I'm not going to be able to tell him where to go preach the gospel and not, you know, I mean, I'm going to tell him to stay out of your area. What are you doing in your area? And, you know, it ended up not being a very uh, nice conversation. And I think I made an enemy. Um, I was gracious about it, but I just said, look, man, you should be thanking me instead of complaining to me. And at the end of the day, um, the evangelist, you know, it was funny because he, he told him off. He told the guy, you're carnal, you know, you're, you're just, you're a jerk, man. Like, you know, what are you doing? And, and I remember the evangelist, you know, that day he was like, Peyton, why are you giving me a hard time? Like you don't do anything. And I remember him saying that and that stuck with me. And I took it as a challenge. Like, what do you mean? And he's like, Hey, I'm on the streets, man. I preach it at, at, at the lunch hour, man, when people are like back in and foreign in the city center. And he's like, I'm there, man. Like I'm out there on the front lines. And, and as I, began to grow in ministry. I started feeling some of this, particularly as the evangelist part of me grew. I remember thinking, man, I'm not paid to sit around and drink coffee and read books all day. Like, nor was Paul. Paul was out there. So that kind of became a challenge. I needed the evangelist in my life to get me out there. And what what was interesting was um, I told him, I said, tell you what, I'm going to commit to getting out on the streets with you. And I went out every single weekend with him. Not, not, Every day, but I went out every single weekend with him for nine months. And I went out onto that street and I, I, I preached in the open air with him. So probably for a good nine months. And I, I had been the evangelist at Louis Jones already. I'd done some radical evangelism for a few years, you know, um, prior to that, but I needed to go and do things that scared me 
and to go frontline. And he would laugh because by no means was I as good as he was. I mean, I'm no slouch in the pulpit, but I mean, he was so gifted. I remember uh, in, in, in Europe now where, you know, you, you see the guys where they're not really called to it. And you think, who let you be an evangelist? You're terrible. Because here's what I want to say. They may not always get along with Christians, but lost people get them. Okay. Um, it, this is important to note because sometimes you find guys where they're kind of nerdy and they, they don't, I've been talking about like social skills and this and that. But when you truly see an evangelist called by God, it's not the guy where you think, Oh, good heavens. He should be locked away from society. He's an embarrassment to the church. No, the evangelist may not get on well sometimes in the church. He needs those other four guys to pull on him. But the reality is when he's out there, he makes sense. And, um, our evangelist was so gifted that, uh, he just, he could get out there. And I kid you not, I would watch that guy attract a crowd of a hundred people on the street in the city center. Um, just because there was this passion coming out. He would literally be like talking to people. He, he was funny. He was, he was a quite a rebel and he still is. I, I still see him when I go to Wales. He's still a friend. But he would have like ACDC on his box and all that, anything. He had this box that he would roll out there and he would open it up and it had, you know, whatever people needed, Bibles, whatever. And it would, he would have this board they need to interact with that would fold out. It's pretty cool. And we made it for him. We made it look like a, um, uh, like a, a, a Pelican case, you know, like he was in a rock band. It was pretty cool. And, uh, and so he would have all these like stickers all over it and, um, you know, and he would, he was a black belt. So it was kind of funny. So like people would give him a hard time, like, you know, and he, he was afraid of nobody. So he'd tell him like, oh yeah. He goes, you want to run your mouth off? Come over. He goes, I'll make you a deal. And, uh, this is, this is from a book called, uh, uh, Grace, Grit, and Gumption. And he knew these guys. He, he knew who they were in history. I mean, they were dead before we were doing it, but he knew what they had done. And he would get out there and he'd go, all right. He goes, I tell you what, you come over here. And you fight me. And he goes, if you fight me and you win, I'll never show up here again. Right? I won't show up. Or he'll say, I won't show up for a month. I can't remember how he said it. But he'd say, but if I win, he goes, you uh, you got to shut up and listen to me. <laughs> and the uh, You, you got to understand the Welsh working class mentality. And uh, and and so usually the guys would back down. You'd be like, oh, right, right. And, and he'd go, oh, so just chops you then, are you? Okay, that's what I thought. All right, well, if you don't mind, I'm going to continue saying what I was saying. And it it would kind of shock people like, well, who is this guy, you know? Um, but I tell you, he would he would sometimes just weep. And it was obvious that he had come from a rough background. He's just tattooed up one side or the other, had been an alcoholic, um, you know, cool testimony. But I just remember like standing in the crowd, people not knowing who I was in relationship to him. Um, I, you know, I was there the week I was preaching in the church, uh, the week he got saved. He didn't get saved in the service, but he came late and he got saved right after. And, um, and I got to know him like the next week I, I came to know him and he, uh, he had just walked in to the church, you know, the, the, uh, I wasn't sure what time it started and someone led him to Christ, but, uh, just a, a, a really cool dude. But anyways, I'm rambling now. Um, all this to say, um, I would stand in the crowd and I would hear people say things about him, you know, and he was, he had that sincerity 
that passion, compassion. Compassion is a big thing for an evangelist. They love lost people. Their heart breaks. And that, it used to be said that Whitfield, you know, would weep. And Whitfield said, if you, if you're talking about hell and you're not weeping, you don't believe it. And I would say that, uh, my evangelist in Wales, he definitely embodied that. I got another guy, uh, Mike Bonimo. We always debate about Mike, whether he's a shepherd or an evangelist, but we kind of think God might be making him into an apostolic guy, which is when you see guys that are hybrids, that's usually that God's taken them into a developmental stage because you learn each of these roles one at a time. And with Mike, Mike would stand outside of 7-Eleven. That guy would never go to 7-Eleven without having a conversation with someone out there on the curb because 7-Eleven is just the place in Long Beach where people sit pretty much when they're messed up in life. I don't mean messed up on substance, although that's usually the case, but just there's something about 7-Eleven where it's like the gutter that catches people. And Mike would just sit there and talk. He talked to runaways. He talked to homeless. He talked to addicts. He talked to teens. He talked to everybody, people that were traveling through, living in their car. Mike would talk to everyone in 7-Eleven. And, uh, you know, it, it's just, you just, you go get them, you know, and say, you're like the, you're like the bird dog, you know, you, you go and fetch them. And, uh, when you find people, uh, that, that have that evangelistic gift, um, let them go. Don't hold them back. And so that's the evangelist. That's that's the best stab that I can take at it today to uh, to give you a, a picture. There's a lot more. If you do want to check out um, Church Zero, cha-ching, I spend quite a bit of time on the evangelist, the shepherd, and the teacher. And I go over some of these things, but of course I flesh it out. Um, I've given you guys some pretty advanced, uh, it's not one-on-one stuff because I keep tying it together, which is part of a future book that will be remain unnamed for now, but has all this, how these roles work together practically. Because when I wrote Church Zero, cha-ching, uh, people would say, well, how do these all work together? And that that's a whole nother book waiting to happen. So anyways, but the book that I've been kind of building up to for our series on the gifts, which is all about activating everyday believers for mission, uh, the name of that book will be called Reaching the Unreached, Becoming Raiders of the lost art. So uh, thanks for joining us today. But before I do, I do want to say that evangelists are not good accountants. You don't want your evangelist as your bookkeeper. Um, they're not really wired for that. And, uh, you know, who is, is Simplify Church, simplifychurch.com. And you can go to simplifychurch.com and they will handle all of your bookkeeping needs, your IRS statements. This week, I got an email from Simplify Church saying, hey, we sent out all the statements. If anything is wrong, let us know. And I was able to say, you know what? One of the donors got back to me and said, hey, this statement's wrong. I think you guys double entered something, which was our error, not Simplify Church's, because we have to record what comes in. And uh, we were able to just have Simplify Church correct it. And let me tell you something, when you're trying to do the work of ministry, you can't be waiting on tables, and that is one of the helpful things that you can do. So, guys, uh, thanks for joining us for the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Since Pete wasn't here and the plane cast did not happen, we want to thank you today for giving us your time and remind you that if you want to reach the unreached, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing.
Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Thank you.